But this is okay. But this is no different than what someone could already do because at that point you have root access on a machine, and then saying, "Oh, well, look, they can screw up Home D because, well, yeah, they have root on the machine. They can wreak holy terror." All right, JT, let's talk about uh, a new and interesting something and something I'm sure that you'll love coming out of the System D camp. It's called System D Home D. Ah, so one of those episodes where we both agree on everything and there's no uh, confrontation and no drama and everybody is happy. Absolutely. Perfectly, exactly nailed it. That's what we're going to do. So I saw this um, video of Leonard Pottering, or I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but um, sorry, Leonard. He was talking through his ideas on how to do this and why it was important. He had some very good um, understanding of what was fundamentally broken with how users were being handled and pointing out some inconsistencies. And this is what we're looking for. And our current system doesn't really support that. And then he pirouettes into, here's a system that we're looking to do that will address all of these things. And I was on board with him right up until he starts introducing this new system. System D, Home D. Um, a lot of the things he was talking about were just um, like he didn't care for how the, uh, the user object, the, the struct that stores the user ID and all the information there is like it's 35 or 40 years old. It hasn't evolved with all of our other needs. Doesn't really meet a lot of the parameters we're using now. And it leads to, he called them sidecar databases storing extra information in addition to these simple structs. And uh, you end up having this data fragmentation across four or five or six different uh, sidecar databases. And the net result is now you're augmenting something that kind of should all be contained in one or a couple systems and it's spread out widely. So I'm all on board with that. And then he starts explaining what it is he wants to do to improve that. And that's when, to me, his presentation starts jumping the shark. And he's talking about, he goes, uh, talks a lot about uh, encrypted home directories. And basically uh -huh. your home directory is no longer attached to the system. It's attached to a moving device or a device that comes with you. Your, your home directory well, travels with you. It, it can be. Okay. It doesn't have to be. It can be an encrypted file sitting on the hard drive that the system has. So first off, one thing I want to jump to that you said earlier, and that is, the fact is, computers and how we use them has obviously massively evolved over the past 30-some years. Yep. We're not all just using the terminal to do stuff. And that's pretty much Says the original multi-user systems. That's how it was set up to, to run. And we do things completely differently now. And this has been an open field that anyone could have innovated in and anyone could have pushed forward ideas and, and run with the ball and come up with an example, but no one has. So Red Hat decides, okay, let's 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 run with the ball. They pick a direction, and everybody's mad because they don't like the direction. Well, there's been 35 years that somebody else could have gone, hey, let's do something a little different. That's the whole open source idea. Anybody can do whatever. And there is a lot of backlash against Home D. I understand some of it. Some of it I don't. But I think it's interesting that it's like, yeah, things haven't innovated, and we're really pissed off that somebody's doing something different and innovating. Like, <laughs> that's not really, really the attitude that we should be promoting, I think. I agree. Now, that's not to say that anybody can just throw crap against the wall and we're going to run with it. No. I think the answer here is more innovation by more people doing more different things mm -hmm. and not just leaving it up to a company like Red Hat to say, well, nobody else is doing it, so we're going to do it. Okay. I understand that. Um, I also think that there's a different way to do it than what he's suggesting, what, what Red Hat is suggesting. Like, I'm okay with people taking a crack at it. I just don't like the way he's doing it or they're doing it. Okay. Well, here's here's one thing where I think I'm specifically perfectly tailored for this discussion mm -hmm. because I used to use migratable home directories that were encrypted. That's right. You did. Because this is how Poppy Linux does it. And like, I've loved this and I've wanted this on a standard system. I will throw links in the description for this show of my two talks that I gave itself about Puppy, and I kind of go into it. But effectively, Puppy, the, when you boot the system, the entire user space, the system, in air quotes, is 
read only. You can't write to it. And when you write, you actually write to a read-write layer with AOFS that sits above your lower file system. And then you can take that entire layer and save that entire layer as a single file onto your disk, or you can save it back to the DVD, or you can save it wherever you want. That file is effectively your entire user and all the things you've done. So if you've installed programs, it goes in that file. If you've changed settings on a program, it goes on that file. If you've downloaded files from the internet, music, pictures, whatever, it gets saved into that file. And you can take that file and you can stick it wherever you want. You can have multiple ones on the same file, and when you boot, you get to choose, okay, which one of my save files do I want to run right now? So this has been possible. The fact is, that's not really the best way to do it, because you're literally taking everything and sticking it into one file. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on what you want, that can be an advantage, because your system is stateless. Everything that gets changed gets changed in the save file. So there are some, like, nifty security things, like, I can find out if someone has modified a configuration file on my system by just opening that save file layer and looking in the Etsy directory. Because if anything's changed, it's going to show up there. Right. So if I all of a sudden see files starting to appear there, I'm like, mm, let's see, I didn't do those, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and delete those out, and then they're gone, mm -hmm. and the system automatically reverts to the file that's in the lower layer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't want to go really deep into that. There's the links in the video, watch them. Mm -hmm. There's been some downsides to that, for instance, with software. Unless you kind of got into Puppy and understood how to edit and kind of build your own release, you would run into the problem of every program you wanted to install was saved in your save file instead of just your personal settings and stuff. I, and I understand that this is the things that Lenart doesn't want to deal with is having, you know, a system in a file. He just wants all the user stuff in a file. And there are some problems if you look at it from a security and forensic perspective that it would be really nice if everything with the user was bundled together and was encrypted and not scattered all over the place That's difficult to, it currently is. It's difficult to argue against that. That just seems inherently more secure and more logical as opposed mm -hmm. to being scattered everywhere. Yeah, the problem is, is once you figure out that that's your game plan and that's what you want to do, you run into a lot of problems because Linux systems have never been designed to have everything with the user in one file. Mm -hmm. So it's like you come up with a good perspective, a good idea, a good goal, but there's third and fourth order effects that you're going to run into from that, which end up to actually be very complicated problems. Yes. And when you try to solve those, well, that just makes it more complicated. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's an easy way to get to the end goal that he and Red Hat are going for. It's going to be a mess. I think if anybody came up with it, it would be kind of messy. Now, are they going to come up with the cleanest implementation that's technically possible? I don't know. Maybe Canonical can step in and say, hey, you know, if we do this this way, it'll work a little better. I don't know. I'd like competition in the space. But I think this is a result of looking at the end result that you want to accomplish and then having to figure out how do I get there from where we are here and then realizing all the individual things along the way. Like, one of the things that he brings up is UID assignments. Mm -hmm. Well, that that introduces a whole mess. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's a, that's a fascinating subtopic there we can maybe re return to that I would like to talk to later. But you're right. No, that, that's, uh, that's a quagmire, we'll say. But it's, you, you can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. No. I think uh, part of the challenge I, with what he's saying in the video we were talking about that we watched, he's coming from the point of view of, I am a full-time Linux user on a laptop. I'm pretty much the only user of this laptop. I would like to have something where I can leave the laptop and my presence is gone and safe. And I am only gonna put this presence on one or a few machines. Machines I trust, you know, he's probably, I don't know if it's a Red Hat owned laptop, like if it's plumbed into their free IPA, install, I would expect it to be, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I would assume he could take, you know, assuming everybody at the company has, you know, a system running system D home D, he could take his private home D on his little jump drive, plug it into somebody else's laptop, and boom, his user is there. His data is there. He decrypts it, and everything is mm -hmm. good and kosher. That's exactly what he's looking for. That's a trusted machine. It's also I'm assuming in this example, joined to free IPA. 
he specifically denigrates in, in the talk we looked at these technologies of LDAP. He, he targets LDAP or, or any of these kind of, we're going to store your home directory or your home user information at a distance and you'll retrieve it from a remote server. He really doesn't care for that paradigm. But if a computer is joined to uh, FreeIPA or over in the Windows world, you can join Linux systems to Active Directory or just have a straight up LDAP server or anything like that. Your information is right there because those same systems are also your source of DNS. They're also your source of a couple other key information. So if you don't have connection to that system, you know, there's the LDAP lookup or the Active Directory, your whole system is boned anyway. So it seems like... Right. I think that's why he doesn't like that because there needs to be the capability that you can actually log into your, your system offline. Like okay. that's kind of an important thing. Okay. Because sometimes, sometimes the internet goes down. True. You've been at my house when this has happened. And then you just, you just wait for it to come back up and then you go about doing what you're going to do. Well, I'm pretty sure I raged so, like, a little bit too, but uh, not that I I'm, really I'm did pretty anything. Sure, I'm pretty sure you did. And I'm pretty sure I made some snarky comment of like, well, you could fix it if you want to. And, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so I, I am personally highly against anything that requires a persistent connection because I have lived in that situation where I am offline. Mm -hmm. And there's been times when I worked as a contractor where I have to go into a skiff where once I get there, the machine I'm on is air gapped. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on the situation, sometimes I would be able to bring my machine into, you know, a certain room, but then I couldn't connect to anything. I couldn't connect to their system network. I couldn't connect to Wi-Fi. I couldn't bring my cell phone in. So like I had my laptop there with information that I could refer to, but that system couldn't be hooked up to anything. Like I wasn't even allowed to plug it into the wall to keep the battery going. Well, that's not going to work if I can't log into my machine because I can't connect to the internet. Correct. So I, I think that this is, this starts to bridge the, the gap between home users and corporate users and the always on enterprise users that are in a building. Hmm. Okay. Because that's a very different use case. I mean, I know back in like 2014, 15, maybe I had talked with a couple of people at Red Hat that I knew just not like officially just, you know, shooting the breeze back and forth about taking the way the puppy did stuff and basically enabling that on a network system, like a thin client system. Um, where you could just use regular systems where you would have your base image that would get put down. And then when you logged in, it would then retrieve your save file that had all your custom stuff, which would have your, your saved programs, your configuration, your settings, your browser stuff, all that. So you could go to any machine anywhere, sit down, log in. And of course, over a high speed network inside a building, you could do that. And then, you know, in a second, boom, there's your file. There's all your information. You're good to go. But Again, that's only going to work in that closed environment where you don't have any issues. Once you're like, okay, well, let me go home and let me, well, now I'd have to have a connection from home back into the network, which is possible, but that's going to be a slower connection. So things are going to take longer. Maybe. I, th I think, so one of the things that happens nowadays, and I don't know of a service that doesn't do this unless you're using very old school, straight up open LDAP to do your user lookups, caching. Client-side caching is a thing. The first time you log into a system, it doesn't have a cache. It goes and retrieves all the information it needs. It retrieves your password, hashes or whatever, uh, all the data that, you know, what's your shell? What's your preferences here? What's mm -hmm. this? What's that? It goes and caches that data on your system, and it keeps that data. I think standard is to keep it for a couple of weeks. Or those cases where you taking your laptop, which is normally plugged into the corporate network at home, you're taking it with you to a client site, into a SCIF, you can still log into your system because you've logged into it before. And that's, I don't want to say it's a solved problem because there's still thorns around that and there's still problems mm -hmm. and you can still get yourself in trouble. You still have forensic issues around that of because course. now you have an open LDAP cache on your laptop yes. and you're somewhere else. So somebody beats you over the head and takes your laptop and okay, right. that's not a good thing. Uh, well, yeah. Which again, seems to be one of the use cases that, I don't know. I don't think maybe Leonard is personally worried about somebody beating him over the head and taking his laptop, but that if you lose your system, there's information and data there. And I'm going to guess, I'm, I, I have no way to prove this. I'm going to guess that this is something that they have gotten requested from industry and government. That would not and surprise that's where me. this has gotten, this is, they, you know, this has been kicked around internally. What are some ways that we can address this request? And eventually, you know, they had a big meeting and people threw out ideas and, you know, a direction was decided on. I think 
again, like I said earlier, you know, this is a problem that it looks simple at first, and then as you get into it, it gets more and more and more complicated. Absolutely, yes. Um, now, like in the in the one video that uh, I don't know if it was the same one you looked at, because I think you might have watched more than me. I will link it in the description so everybody can go see it. There was a person who brought up ZFS. Oh, and yes, how this poor ZFS person can can encrypt data sets. And th yes, that's true. ZFS can encrypt data sets. And Lenart kind of just handled it. He's like, I'm not talking about a file system. I'm talking about user management. And the guy kept was like, oh, well, ZFS can do the user stuff. And that guy seemed to be missing the point that while ZFS can encrypt a data set and that data set can be assigned to a user, there's a whole lot of other things in that mix that make that happen. Agreed. Because we actually do this on Triton. When you create your user, it creates a data set for your home directory, for your user that is your home directory. And when you put in your password to log in, it connects with Pam and then unencrypts that data set so you can use it. Okay. So then when you shut down and log out, your home data set is encrypted to you and you alone. And someone else on the machine, when they log in, they can't get access to your data set because obviously your data set is locked. Mm -hmm. It's not open. However, that uses all the Linux user infrastructure that already exists to do that. So ZFS on its own doesn't solve the problem because the problem isn't just encryption of certain files. Right. It's how that gets tied in to the whole system. Mm -hmm. And as the video that I saw, Lenart points out that there are some major problems. Like you want to SSH in the first time as your user. Well, if your home directory and all your user files are encrypted, then the access to the key so it can check is also encrypted. Right. So you can't get sent that to then be able to do the stuff. So mm -hmm. you have to be able to log in when it's unlocked to be able to get the key and the signatures and the IDs and all that stuff. And then then you can get in normally and Pam will take care of the rest. But like there are a lot of edge cases. And another another thing that comes up that's sort of tangent to this. Some people were bringing some uh, questions up, which I just didn't understand. Like this person saying, well, I want to be able to log out and still download files. What, You're what? logged out. Yeah. Why are you logging out to down like that, to have files going? If you're logged out, your user should be done. Mm -hmm. like as, if you don't, yeah, as he said, want, it's, it's if you disconnected from the system entirely, it's gone. You don't exist in the system anymore. If you want to continue downloading files to your home directory on a system that you're using, why are you logging out? Yeah, stay you logged can just in. Lock the. You can lock the system, and then you're still there. Like I don't get what someone was going with that. Now this does bring up an added complication, and that is. X screensaver sucks because <laughs> yes. X screensaver actually doesn't stop your session. It's still going. And if you're on a system, you can actually SSH in to your user account, kill X screensaver and get your desktop back <laughs> because X screensaver is just running over top of it. Right. It doesn't actually do anything security wise for locking the system. I think this, I, well, I know this is one thing that Ken has planned for Lumina 2.0 is to be able to tie that in. So the screensaver is now actually a part of your X session. And I, I'm not sure if this is the way GNOME does it, because mm. GNOME has their own screensaver now. I, didn't know uh, I don't know if, if GNOME did that. Yeah, they don't use X screensaver. It's GNOME screensaver. I don't know if they did that. Oh, for the you same know, yeah, reasons. I've run into that before, yeah. But again, like that's that's an issue that comes up with this as well, right. because it all lays back to the security of do you want your system to be secure? And if you do, well, there's some complications with that. Mm -hmm. And there's some other things that, yeah, you're just going to have to lose some capabilities like downloading files when you're logged out, which I don't know why you would want to do. You're going to have to lose that capability if you actually want a true secure home directory. Well, now, hold on a second there. I think you can have a secure home directory by having nothing meaningful in there at all. Would that also not be secure? Like how things are now, you've got practically no data in your user record. There's, as he points out, there's six fields in this struct. None of them are really going to reveal anything because the one important thing I would think of would be the user ID, and that's local to the system only. Your password hash is in uh, a different struct on, you know, shadow and all those other things. And your, if you've got an SSH key pair or a couple of key pairs that you've got set up for authorized keys, those are public keys. So it's not like that's mm -hmm. hidden. It's, it's valuable to keep uh, private. So in a standard non-systemd home D setting, it's already secure. 
unless you're storing right, data you in there. Do something. Okay. Right, but I mean, you just use a program. You're storing data in your .config directory. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, like, that is important. How you have your browser set up. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've. I don't have That's one true. off the top of my head that I can pull up, but there is ways that you can track people through browser usage based on how they have the browser configured. Right. Yes. Yeah, what I've extensions seen they have, version, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, there is still a lot of forensic data, even if you don't have anything saved in documents and downloads and pictures and videos in those folders, there's still a lot of forensic data that somebody can get to. Agreed. And ultimately, you want to prevent any leak of any information. Agreed. Uh, I if don't know that I want that. If you're aiming towards security. Okay. I, I aim towards security. I don't know that we're talking about the same level of security here. I, I'm not needing the level of security you were discussing on my home systems. I like to think. Probably I do. <laughs> and I'm sure right now you're already like, how am I going to prove to him that he actually does need this? It's really going to hurt, but I don't want it to hurt too bad. How am I going to do this? Yeah, you know, I, could, I could see it. It's on your face. But um, And five seconds later, the FBI comes busting through the window behind you. <laughs> good thing there's no window. Oh, there's one. It's a, uh, yeah, there's, there's one over there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's not behind me. Anyway, um, what I'm getting to is the level of security you're talking about. Maybe part of my problem in understanding System D Home D and its benefits is that I don't see that level of security as necessary for how I tend to use it. It also, there's a use case that this would completely eliminate that I use all the time. I, I run Scream everywhere. I use it all the time. Sometimes I have to use Tmux if someone's refused to do Scream because they're that way and they say, oh, we're going to use Tmux. Fine, whatever. Persistent sessions, I use it all the time. So if my presence only exists when I'm logged in, then Scream can't work. If If I... If you use the multiplexer and turn it off when I leave, that's fine. If I leave the session open, which is another thing I do a lot, I come back to a session later and resume my work on it, that won't work anymore. Because for the duration of my time that I'm offline, my user no longer exists to the system. So all the things that every time you run a command or every time something happens or, or all this background information that it needs just to do its normal stuff is gone. So that use case that I use all the time no longer works. And for me, that's a deal breaker. So it seems like just right off the top Again, of my head. I think, I think that's a completely different use case because there are so many ways that Linux and Unix are used mm -hmm. beyond just, I have to log into a million systems. Now, I'm not, I'm not denying that you're, what the situation you're bringing up because it is a valid situation. I don't think the goal is that and and maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't think the goal is that Home D will be the only way that home directories can be done. I hope not. I see this far more as this is an advanced secure way, similar in the way of how SE Linux works. You don't have to use SE Linux, but you can enable it and then you get all these things. Right. And most people don't enable it because, oh, well, that means I actually have to do effort and configure it. And that's just a lot of time and and I just don't want to do that. Right. So I'm just going to not turn it on. How off. many tutorials begin with? Set uh, SE links to permissive mode or just disable it entirely. Like tons and tons yeah. and tons of tutorials begin that way. I'm like, no, I refuse. And then normally the tutorials don't work because they don't have any security problems. And I'm like, why is this not working? The tutorial didn't mention. Oh, right. SE Linux. Check the audit log. That happened to me more times than I care to admit. Yeah. Now, I think that perhaps there could be some clever solution to the issue that you bring up. I have no idea what it is off the top of my head. But I'm sure there is a solution. Yeah, it's called leaving a persistent record on the system. <laughs> well, I mean, you could do that, and it would just be a persistent encrypted record. Okay, so I guess the session would have the key in RAM, and that's another thing he addresses in this talk, is that he's concerned about the encryption key that I use to decrypt my home directory is in RAM. And mm -hmm. as long as I'm logged in, it's still in RAM. So what mm -hmm. he wanted was if he walks away from his system and he's not directly on top of it. Theoretically, someone can grab his laptop, quickly freeze it so they have long enough to uh, you know, go rummage through the memory and find his key. That's, that's, mm -hmm. been a, that's a proven attack. We've, we've seen you know, reports on that. Right. That's a valid concern. So one of the things he's trying to solve is when you step away from your machine and you unplug your jump drive, your user disappears, your encryption key is gone from RAM. I don't have to worry about that. I understand that. That's, again, that's, uh, not to, maybe it's just more, I don't know, it's, it's not paranoia, obviously, because this just happens, and, and 
certain users of, of Linux in, in key places or in high security zones or espionage or intelligence or any number of things or, or just trying to prevent corporate espionage. You know, there's lots of few cases where this would be very important. I've also heard the anecdotal evidence of any time you go to somewhere like China, just bring something that you don't mind losing or getting rummaged through because while you're out having dinner, someone is going to sneak into your hotel room and exfiltrate the contents of your drive. So bring a clean yeah, system. And potentially leave, leave something else right. there for you to take home. Bring a clean system, throw it away before you, you fly can home. throw away. Exactly. Right. Bring a clean system. That's why I started collecting laptops, old laptops, just so I'd have something to throw away if I needed to go overseas for any reason. I just have something. Um, mm -hmm. And I never ended up going overseas, so then I, I had to, I was like, what do I do with all these? So then I started giving them out to students that was doing programming with me. Anyway, um, there are definitely legitimate reasons for a lot of these things. I wonder... I question, let me say this. I'm coming from the point of view that what they do with System D Home D is going to end up in a lot of places eventually. Because this is the pattern uh -huh. we've seen. System D comes up with a new paradigm, starts doing things X, and we've never done it way, that way before. Oh, let's try it. It also gets looped in with everything else. And so the expectation is now most modern systems that are using System D will do things in X way. So I expect in the balance of time, the next three to five years, most distributions will start using system D home D because it's just another of the benefits of using system D. And it starts off as a benefit and then it gets tied into everything else and then it becomes an expectation and then it becomes very difficult to get system D to work without it. And that's been the pattern mm -hmm. we've seen over and over again. So system D home D will end up everywhere eventually even in places that we wouldn't really want it. Like a, a, on a server fleet where I'm building, you know, container images or, or container hosts, whatever. And I've just got, you know, tons and tons and tons of images and tons and tons of systems that are all exactly the same. And you know, that's the perfect use case for not ever having any user data on the system itself. Ephemeral mm -hmm. user data, if at all, you know, you've got a couple key users for automation. Or well, it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even make sense because all the users you're going to have are either going to be system users or automation and stuff like that. Right. So again, I don't think this is going to be on everything all the time because it it doesn't actually work for the use case. Now, obviously, this is very dependent on what your security threat model is. True. Yep. Um. To to use a line from the Harvard professor James uh, Mickens, uh, his he basically boils all security threat models down to two choices. It's a binary choice. Mossad or not Mossad? <laughs> and this is this is clearly something that is intended for people who are potentially concerned about a nation state actor, right? Or something at that level. But now, remember, this was the same argument that people had generally just about encryption in general. Oh, no, you, nobody needs encryption. That's ridiculous. What are you worried about? You know, you're you're not you don't have super secret information. Why would you need encryption? Well. The fact is, there are very good reasons to have encryption, even if you're not worried about mm -hmm. the CIA coming to knock on your door. I, I think that as more time goes by, things like this will become, I don't want to say the standard, but people are going to understand it more. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not going to be valid in every single instance. So I'm certain there's going to be a way that you're going to be able to not use this even if it comes with lots of warnings and, and red flashing warning you know bells and mm -hmm. setting off nessa scans because you don't have the service enabled <laughs> but uh, you know the, the, you just this is not something as it's proposed now that can meet every circumstance maybe in 30 years we'll have figured out all the edge cases but for yeah. right now there's no way it could be applied there's no way red hat could apply this on their own offerings across the board mm -hmm. so i'm pretty sure that they're not intending to you know this this is probably one of those things i would classify as a technology preview whenever it does come out right. and another thing that 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 comes up while i'm thinking about it is in that video there was an individual who was seemed to be really focused on the you can have your home directory on a usb stick and they seem to be really locked into that one like that was the point that they had the best argument for and their argument was well what happens if you plug it into a compromised machine that was a uh, and like yeah. The guy asked this, and I'm just thinking, like, well, th then you're an idiot? Yeah. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> you deserve what happens to you. Yeah. Lenart probably says, well, that's not the issue. Like, that's your problem. <laughs> that's not 
that's not the Home D problem. That's a you problem. He was very polite, but very firm in explaining that this is, yeah, don't do that. You're stupid if you do yeah, that. He was, he was way more polite than I would. Yeah, I would have been. I would have been pretty like, insulting. Not safe for work alert. By the way, right now you have like three seconds to put on some headphones or turn your volume down before the next comment I'm about to make. But like this to me is just like, don't stick your dick in a blender, because <laughs> if you do, we're not gonna sit here and go, well, there was something wrong with the blender, or there was something wrong with the oh dick. No, the problem. The problem was that you stuck your dick in a blender. Wow. You're at fault. Wow. Not the blender. You're at fault. Oh, so like so many drops. That's so where I would put drops. it. Oh yeah. gosh. If you're gonna plug anything of yours into a compromised machine, right. that's on you. That's not on the technology. That's because you're just a daft idiot. Now, caveat, you can be plugging into a machine you think is not compromised and is. There are those situations too. So not everybody yeah. that plugs their shit into a compromised machine does so because they're an idiot. I would say a lot right, of people- Right, but the way that that guy put the yeah, question exactly. forward like, was that- I know this you, is a compromised machine, but I need to log in, therefore I'm gonna plug my system into it. I'm gonna plug my uh, home drive into it. No, don't, don't do that. That's immediately obvious, don't do that. But there's gonna be people that do it and then they'll blame somebody else. Like, you, look, this, this broke, my whole entire home directory gets corrupted because I plugged into the system. Honestly, maybe maybe if I'm really, really anti-Home D, uh, I set up a system that says, uh, when you plug in your jump drive, if it detects a Home D, it goes ahead and does everything and then it sets up for 30 seconds later to just subtly start encrypting everything with a different password on your Home D and just kind of mess with the user a little bit, you know? Like, don't- Mess with the user. You're gonna actually destroy their data to mess with the user. Not destroy, encrypt. It's still there. That's the, the no, that's the same thing. Because the mm. next thing that's going to happen is your ass is going to get fired when your business figures out what you just Honestly, did. Honestly, I wouldn't do this at work. And then this would be a honey pot machine. Well, I'm, like I'm not giving you the key then, and then the data's gone. Right. Okay. No. See, uh, there's that slippery slope, and it was somewhat of a joke. I just kind of like a little haha. Don't do that on my system. I wouldn't actually do that. I would think about it. I'd be like, that's really cool, but that takes more effort than I want. That takes more than zero effort, and I'm just I got too many things to do to, to worry about that. But there's some part of me that knows in the back of my head, someone is going to do that. You're going to have some kind of latent um, waits for someone to plug in with a Home D and then screws with it. That's going to happen. But this is, okay, but this is no different than what someone could already do. Because at that point, you have root access on a machine. True. And then saying, oh, well, look, they can screw up Home D because, well, yeah, they have root on the machine. Mm -hmm. They can wreak holy terror across the network, probably. Well, it depends on if your capabilities are set up right, you know. Capabilities, because, you know, the capability has been around for, what, a decade or so? The root has to be able to do everything, except if you've tuned your capabilities right, then you can kind of prevent root from doing things it's not supposed to. Or SE Linux, you know? If you're trying to do something that's against context, even if you're a root user, SE Linux will block you. So there are ways to make root not the all-powerful, does-everything user, and some of them are on by default. Just putting that out there, that even if you can escalate to root, sometimes that's not enough. Anyway, I'm talking about a system where I control and I invite or allow someone else to use it and they foolishly So in other in. words, you're just being, you're just I'm, being a brat. I'm being a dick. That's what it is. I'm being a yeah. dick. Uh, you know, and I wouldn't actually do this because, again, more than zero effort, I have entirely too many things to do. But it would be nice. It's kind of fun to think about what if, what could do. Because that's where my mind goes. Uh, you're a psychopath, Jeff. I, no, that is no, no, no. I'm a sociopath. Get it right. I guess actually that would be psychopathy, wouldn't it? Because I would be enjoying that they would, yeah, okay, maybe I'm a psychopath. There, there's real yeah. value in being a psychopath. You can get a lot of things done just, just between you and me and all the listeners. Being a psychopath means you can get a lot of things done quickly. FBI and five. No, four, no, they're already outside the window. <laughs> I'm hearing a tapping noise. Just a minute, guys. They're, they're telling you to calm down. Settle down, Jeff. Settle down. I can, I can hear the rattling of the handcuffs now. Anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, there, there are, there's a lot of, kind of just moral or meta not metaphorical, um, just moral disagreements. Um, I don't appreciate the way some of these things are being done. I don't appreciate the change. Uh, I think personally, one of the things that bothers me about this is I feel like there's a lot of other things in Linux that could use a lot more work or polish. And it feels like we're putting effort towards a thing that's not really that broken. 
yes, I know there's four or five or six different sidecar databases with variable, you know, various user information, and they don't always work together very well. I've had so many problems with the counts daemon on GNOME. It's it's been the bane of my existence several times in the last couple of years. I've had systems that refused to boot because in some certain situation they had internet but not the right internet, like got the wrong IP or something, and all of a sudden it thinks it could account statement says I should be able to reach the system I'm trying to get to. It can't, and it just then freezes. So I've had lots of problems with this, and I, I just don't care for that. And I'd be happy if account statement well, would the disappear. solution there is don't use GNOME. Yeah, well, I didn't have a choice. I was maintaining a system that I inherited, a system image that I inherited. But you, you couldn't install another desktop for you to use? I'm doing that, you know, as we speak, I'm redesigning the system. This is a work system, and I have to, I can't just do whatever I want, you know? But I, I can, but then I get fired. So um, I have to work within the bounds of what I've, what I've got. You know, just being reasonable here. I, I can understand the information being cloistered in various sidecar databases, and I'm not generally opposed to that. Because um, I, I think moving the home directory to being... Uh, how do I put this? So right now, home directories exist on the system. They're a core component of the system. A user exists on the system. And the expectation is... Well, a user doesn't have to exist. Right. Well, okay, I log into a system that's uh, LDAP enabled or something. So my user doesn't technically exist on the system, but it's been grafted in using LDAP lookups or whatever. So it's still known to the system. That's... I'm so used to thinking like that, that if I'm, if I'm logged in or a user is available, then I'm going to be able to go... I do an LS on a directory, and I see a user ID that doesn't map to anything because that user data was been pulled. This goes back to when we were talking about earlier in the conversation about uh, user IDs are local to the system and the user ID mapping, and that can get very squishy. Maybe it's a good way to put it. I don't like looking in a directory and going, who the hell is user 982? What, what is that? That doesn't mean anything to me. And it's not a failing of the system that it didn't map 982 to a user. I think it's a failing of the system who said we should bring we should only be bringing that home data to the system when that user's logged in. I don't know. Maybe there's just something in the way that the um, the user data is mapped to a local user ID because you know there's no way to um, verify that you're going to get the same user ID in every system, especially if you get lot, lots of people logging in and out. Who knows what user ID will be assigned? And it could be different. That's one of the things he addresses in the talk, too. We could always do user IDs like IPv6 addresses. I had that thought, actually. So then you would never need another user ID. Well, okay. I did. That goes kind of against your security argument, doesn't it? Because now you're talking about yeah, it does. A, a permanent ID that goes with you everywhere. And there are so many other negative things that can happen because of that. But I did mm -hmm. consider that, too. And I was considering rebuttals to, okay, I don't like how they're doing this. But I can't just complain that I don't like how they're doing it. I need to be able to present another alternative that resolves, or at least it pretends to resolve, some of the things that he raised that I agreed with. But I, I, that's honestly not a bad way to do it, but it does not resolve the security things. It seems like a lot of the reasons for doing no. things the way they do, or the way he's proposing or discussing, is security conscious. Security first, security forward. You know, the whole, um, I actually liked this. And I thought it was it was a good explanation that um, the decryption of your home directory and then suddenly the accessibility of the user data from that home directory is a valid enough login. You shouldn't need a second password to prove the validity of the you know that you're that user because you wouldn't be able to decrypt the data unless you were that user, right? Ostensibly. Mm -hmm. And I really like that he wants to be able to use YubiKeys or other third-party login second factors. You know, I've long wondered, mm -hmm. why don't we use this more? You know, I, I, I actually choose the services online, uh, like my DNS provider. I chose because I explicitly wanted the uh, time-based one-time password second factor authentication. I wasn't willing to do something weaker. I, I, I don't like doing my phone as the second factor. I hate that, actually. I mm -hmm. think only in emergency am I willing to do that. And even then... We've seen so many results or so many, uh, so many people getting hacked because of the, um, uh, someone will call up T-Mobile and say, hey, something's wrong with my phone. Can I get a new SIM card sent to me? SIM card jacking or whatever it is. There's lots of, yeah. lots of things like that. I don't want any of that to happen to me. I am conscious about that. So I'm careful about that. 
and yet I'm not willing to go all the way into what he's suggesting for Home D. I understand the value of a lot of the things he's suggesting or that they're doing. I just don't know that I'm willing to give up the ease of what we've got. You know, I don't see that the changes that are being brought in are enough to outweigh the usefulness of doing nothing, if that makes sense. And maybe that's just where I sit. Mm -hmm. Doing nothing may be better, and sometimes is better than doing something. Doing the wrong something, for sure, which right. is doing well, something. We've been doing nothing for how many decades? Like, at some point, things have to change. Like 40, 40, 50 years, something like that. Okay, so we can, we can try something. And Home D might not even be the best solution or the solution. But in working on Home D, in developing it, we can realize, oh, crap, there's all these other sixth and seventh order effects that we didn't think about initially because we only went down four. Mm -hmm. That once we understand all that, then we can, oh, okay, now we've got a bigger picture. Let's figure out a new way. But if we just keep doing nothing, we're never going to get anywhere because that's just how doing nothing works. <laughs> nothing happens. Wow. Like I personally That sounds like a maxim or something. I know. That yeah. that's that's very deep. Isn't it? <laughs> very very deep. JT's maxim of nothingness. <laughs> I mean, I love the concept of what they're going for. Having dealt with some of this in the past, I know some of the hurdles that they're going to run into. I, there have to be ways around them. I don't see why there wouldn't be. Like again, for for Trident with ZFS. When you log in, your user password is what gets used to unlock. So in ZFS, the, what you use as your encryption key that you type in mm -hmm. is not actually your encryption key. Right. It's a wrapping key. Right. It's the key that encrypts the actual key mm -hmm. so that you can change your password as many times as you want, or you can change the wrapping key as many times as you want. The underlying key doesn't need to change, and it stays secure. So like there are things that we can do to get there, but the problem is, again, if you do it the ZFS way, the way we do it on Trident, it doesn't address all the other issues. And yeah, you have a nice home dir that's, you know, encrypted and separate, and you can do a ZFS send with that, and you can send it even if it's encrypted, because you don't need it to be unencrypted to do a send, so you can back it up, you can do all the nice things that you want to do with it. But, again, there are some complications. I have never tried to do that over a remote connection, hmm. where then I would then remove the data set at, after I'm done because I would have to be logged in to be able to issue the command to remove it. And if I'm logged in then you to can't the user, it. I can't remove right. Like, that's just not going to work. Uh, again, these are problems that would have to be solved. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I know, I know you're going to love this, there's going to need to be a stamen that particularly handles all of this stuff. Mm. Yeah, you know Hence, me. Home D, no, the D at the not, end. Not a fan. The D at the not end. Not a fan. But I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to agree with you. But you're right. There has to be some kind of daemon monitoring it, and I just don't. Mm. I see. I, I, I hear everything you're saying. It all makes sense. But at the end of the day, I just can't agree to. You do don't it like change. No, it's not. No, no, no. That's not fair to say at all. I like change. Certain change. Just I don't like this change. Don't don't stick that whole your curmudgeon never change. I don't like this change. It doesn't well, make you me a bad person. Liked, you haven't liked any of the changes that Lenart has worked on. Um, few, few. You didn't like System D. You didn't like Pulse Audio. Well, I still don't like Pulse Audio. You don't like Home D. I, and and again, this is where I come back to. I wonder how much of the hatred of this is because Lenart is the lead guy for it. If anyone else came out with this, if Greg KH decided he was going to be a user land developer all of a sudden, and he came out with this and started pushing this forward. I do not think you would see the hatred coming out against Home D. Maybe. If it was anyone else. I would not have run into it. So let's see this. The hatred for Lenart perhaps is part of the reason why the visibility is so high for everything he does. So mm -hmm. at this point, anything he does, and he knows this, and he's brave enough to do step in and do it anyway, he's going to step in it no matter what he does. Because someone's going to be like, Lenart, that's wrong, because it's Lenart. If Greg Cage decides he wants to go solve this. What was the first line of the article that you read oh, about gosh, this? Oh, gosh, yeah. They're very, very neutral. System D-HomeD is a new and fundamentally broken way of handling home directories on Linux. Yes, very, very objective yeah, there. That that was written Linux because Lenart's name. Right. There you go. I understand. Uh, and 
maybe it wouldn't have come to my attention, but I, eventually it would come to my attention. And Greg KH or Torvalds or anybody, pick any any celebrity name or non-celebrity name. I I work very hard to evaluate an idea on the merits of the idea. I, I like to think that good ideas, bad ideas, can come from the unlikeliest of people or places. And I want to be listening to the content of the idea. So to me, I mean, we, we had discussion before about I don't, I don't always like the way he's he presents and he's a little bit abrupt to to the people in the presentation that are disagreeing with him and asking pointed questions about it. But that's not the idea. And I I've tried in this talk to stick to just the idea and exploring the things I didn't like about it. The fact that Leonard is the one that mm -hmm. presented it, the only reason that matters is because that's why I clicked on the clickbait article about this because it was Leonard. That's it. Because it was something bad about Lenart, and you're like, ooh, ooh, yes, I must read this. No, actually, no. No, no, here's the funny thing. I don't even hate you for that, because I know that when this goes out, there are going to be people who are going to contact me and be like, dude, why do you like that guy so much? It's, I, I ah, what's the deal? Why is it that if I say people hate him for him, it suddenly means I like him? Like, can I just be objective and say, some people are just really hostile against no, him without wanting to be his best friend. I think you can. But this is what I get all the time. Anytime I've ever defended System D, well, back in the day, it was, oh, you just, you just, you just have a crush on Lenart. It's like, no, I don't. I just don't think he's the spawn of Satan. So I had my opposition to him because, uh, you know, we talked in an earlier episode about Pulse Audio and mm -hmm. how many times did. I just instruct someone, the solution to your audio problem is to uninstall Pulse Audio. And lo and behold, that mostly fixed whatever they were doing. And there's only so many times I'd be like, this person who made Pulse Audio, and he was the originator and sole developer at the beginning, this was his baby. So it's fair for me to blame him personally for all the times that I had to troubleshoot this thing and the resolution was get rid of it. But I've gotten past that. Like he has some really good ideas, and I admire his. He knows every time he opens his mouth in a public sphere anywhere, people are just gonna hate him. They're gonna disagree with him. They're gonna jump into the conversation just because it's him to disagree with him and shout at him. And he's brave enough to go and do it anyway because he feels strongly. It seems like to me, the idea has merit, and we need to explore this thing. And that's more important than do people hurl insults at me. And I really admire that mm -hmm. about him. So now I'm not a Leonard hater. I disagree with a lot of the way he does things. I might've been a Leonard hater in the past, but now that we have an audience, I'm no longer a hater. See, it's convenient like that, the whole bandwagon <laughs> thing. Yeah. Oh, nice, mm -hmm. nice. You see how he did that? Yeah, no. Suddenly when he can get held to the fire by his comments that are made publicly, he, uh, he softens his stance. Well, you know, interesting how that these works. will live forever. And I just, you know, want a legacy that my kids can agree with. Right. They'll be like, look, he didn't hate that guy. See, he's okay. That's a joke. Yeah. Anyway, this idea has flaws in my opinion. I'm not on board with it, but I will probably have to make my peace with it because it will show up in more places. Like we talked about earlier. And okay, so let me I'll ask you a question. Good with it. Would you say that this has flaws or this has questions that haven't been answered yet? Both. Because those are not necessarily the same. Right. Both. I'd say it's both. Okay. And part of the way both is because uh, he, Lennon has decided, and he, he says this in this presentation we watched. This is my use case. This is, I think, a good approach for my use case. And he disagrees with people that say, well, I have other use cases. And he's like, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this use case. But mm -hmm. I know it's going to be applied to things outside of that use case. I just know it because that's what has happened in the past. And so... I also think it's important to remember, though, that Lenart is paid by Red Hat. Mm -hmm. If he comes up with a daft idea that's not going to be beneficial to them, they're not going to pay him to do it because... That's how business works. Generally. So, like, this is this is his use case. This is also Red Hat's use case. Again, I don't think this covers every use case. Right. But I, I think this is addressing a need that does exist. And maybe, maybe, again, I'll say it again. Maybe I'm wrong, 
but I do not think this is going to become the only way to do things. I think this will become the secure way to do things, and if you're doing things that don't fit inside this, you know, small box of security that they're building out, then you're not going to use it. I don't see this being the only way, because there are so many other situations where it doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just that most of my use cases are in those where it doesn't apply areas. I mean, I use a, a Mac as my home system. I've been doing it for 15 years. Uh, a lot of my, yeah. a lot of my, yeah, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to talk about that. I someday. also have used, you know, Linux laptops as my home base quite frequently. I did it for many years too. Uh, so it's like I don't have credibility there. It's just, I use the uh, OS 10 base because uh, I got used to it. I remember back in the day, and I think I explained this in a previous episode. It to me felt when I first started using it like this is like all the things that I like about Linux without all the hassle. And that was very attractive to me when I was just trying to get something done. And then I started building a workflow around it. And now it's kind of like I'm committed to my workflow. I could make a new workflow, but I like this one. That works great. Yeah, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. Sure. This is why I'm three revisions back on, on Mac OS, because I've drunk the Kool-Aid, right? And I use hardware that's, you know, five or six years old because I drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't drink the, you didn't get the big sip. You got the little sip. The little sip. Okay, sure. So is it about uh, hating Linart, and this is not about you hating Apple? Oh, yes. Okay, good. I have no problem admitting it. I despise Apple. Well, okay. Well, okay, 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 hold on, hold on. To be fair, to be fair, I need to clarify that. Right, right, because people are going to really listen to this despise... and ask you questions later. No, no, because I, if people are going to hate me, I want them to hate me for the right reasons, <laughs> not the wrong reasons. I, I don't really hate Apple. I hate Apple users. Like, I want to be very clear about that. I don't have a problem with the hardware. The hardware is fine. It's usually actually pretty good hardware. I don't like the walled garden thing that Apple does. Yeah, I don't either. But what I cannot stand are the, oh, no, there is a new product with a shiny Apple on it. I must go buy it. And I know those people. They're my friends. And they infuriate me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just stop it. Stop it. Actually, I don't mind them doing anyway. that because when they do buy the new thing, they'll sell their old thing. And that's when I buy it at a severe discount. I'll buy it at, you know, 40 or 50 cents on the dollar. I wait for them to go do, ooh, shiny. So please, those of you that are doing that, please do that so that I have used hardware to buy and I'm not paying so much of a premium on my stuff. Anyway. But you're still paying a premium because it's an Apple product. Okay, but uh, we can have that discussion in another episode, <clears throat> actually. Yeah, because this one, this one's getting a little I long. I think it is too. Uh, so, but, you know, we, so we, we tend to ramble and go wherever we go. I think this is a good discussion, and uh, I hope that our listeners enjoyed it as well. If you didn't, let us know. If you did, let us know. If you have opinions on this, and we hope you do, let us know. We'd be happy to talk with you about it or share your feedback on, on our recordings here. So let us know what you think. Yeah. And just to clarify, just for, you know, the last comments of mine were for, you know, fun and, and entertainment. Mm -hmm. I don't actually hate people. I, I am infuriated by the fanboys, but I understand that there are millions and millions of people that use Apple products that are fine. I'm not I'm not really that obtuse. Backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. No, I just enjoy I enjoy being obtuse, but I'm not actually obtuse. It's like the I'm not an asshole, I just play one on a podcast. Right. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> um so on that note, I will say thank you for listening. Uh, send us your feedback. We'd love to hear input from other people. Yes, please. And as always, be excellent to each other, especially Lenart. Bye.